Father, when we come to You, King of this universe, and we recognise who You are, surrender is our only reasonable response. Father, Your wisdom is infinite. Your power just stunning your love so deep and Lord thank you that you chose us to be the centre of your plan you made this whole universe so you could make this solar system so you could make this earth special for us Father your grace is incredible And we today, in response to your incredible gift to us, want to give you our wills. We surrender. Holy Spirit, have your way today. Plough the ground and may your word bring forth fruit. In Jesus' name we ask it. Thank you, team. This week, in fact, the last few weeks, I've been discussing with a number of people, actually a couple of young people, particularly a couple of young people, and I was struck by the fact that they were both reflecting to me the self-centeredness of our culture and questioning the validity of that. So that got me to do a quick search. In the old days, I used to have to hop on my car and drive up to the Howick Library and go and have a look. But today, you can just do that online. In Auckland Council Libraries, you can search all the libraries. And I just happened to type in words like self under the category of self. And I was amazed to see there was over 120 categories. Self-actualization, self-analysis, self-assertion, Self-confidence, self-determination, self-enrichment, self-esteem, self-fulfillment, self-help, self-identity, self-image, self-improvement, self-indulgence, self-love, self-realisation and self-reliance. Well, you can see that today we are a very self-conscious society. And our culture seems to be increasingly a generation preoccupied with moi, ourselves. And we shouldn't be surprised because the Bible says this on the very first scripture on your outline. Taken from 2 Timothy 3. If you want to have a sobering study, soberly look at this chapter in your devotions this week. It says this from the Living Bible. In the last days, it's going to be very difficult to be a Christian. Let's just stop right there. Anybody want to give up? I'm glad somebody doesn't and somebody shook his head. Let me just say that again. Ring the bell. I don't mind that phone. Ring the bell. Let's do it again. In the last days, ding, 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 ding. In the last days, it's going to be very difficult to be a Christian. Did you get that? Get it? Good. Denise, you better get it. 
Why? Why is it going to be difficult to be a Christian? Then, then he nails it. Because people will live only for themselves and their money. Are you living for yourself and just your money? Let's not rush over that point. In the last days, it's going to be very difficult to be a Christian. For people will love only themselves and their money. Now, when people misdirect their love towards themselves and material pleasures or experiences, there is no love left over to direct towards others because it's all spent on moi. Now, there are three main forms of this in our culture today as we bantered backwards and forwards with these young people. The first one, I'll just quickly run over them, and I'm going to go drill into each one. The first one is individualism. And that's basically, I do what's good for me. Tough luck about you. Others don't matter. The second one is secularism. God doesn't matter. So first of all, others don't matter. Second, secularism, God doesn't matter. And the third is narcissism. And that means all that matters is me. That's all that matters. And that's the way I'm going to live my life. So individualism, let's go back to that. I'm going to do what's best for me. How many times have I heard that one? And their motto is, well, you just do your own thing. And their theme song is from that famous theologian who wrote it, I did it my way. That's their theme song. They love it. Now question, in your observation of life, are people becoming more considerate or more rude? More rude, I agree. Sure, well, what's the cause behind that? Individualism is, because individual says that, I don't care about you, get out of my way, I'm in a rush. Bah, bah. The Bible says this, yeah, bah, bah. <laughs> Proverbs 18.1, I've got some help today. I like that. Good on you, Matt. An unfriendly man pursues selfish ends. Get out of my way. I'm on a mission, my mission. Don't interfere with my life. That's what the Bible says. Come across that attitude anywhere? An unfriendly man pursues selfish ends. It's all about me. The end I'm getting to is all about me. Christian, are you getting anywhere that's not about you? Or is it all about you? Are we one of these people that Proverbs is talking about here? Is it all about me? You don't hear these messages very popular in church today. In fact, I'll guarantee you'll have very few listens to this. <laughs> he only thinks of himself, the Bible says. Now, secularism, on the other hand, boy, do I hear this a lot, says that God doesn't matter. And I have discovered that there's that people, not necessarily, some people will even say, well, it's not that they don't believe in God, they just think He's irrelevant to their plans and their goals in their life. That's what happens. They just think He's irrelevant. And most people that live around you won't flat out deny that God exists. I was listening to a debate this, uh, some ridiculous hour of the morning, because uh, I found it riveting uh, about how God does exist, was our side and the ones that didn't. And he said, well, I can't definitely tell you he couldn't, but he just, I'm not interested in him, he was saying. I don't want to ignore him. Now the Bible says here in Job 21, 14, the wicked tell God to leave them alone. Leave me alone. 
They don't want to know His will for their lives. Boy, the Bible cuts straight to it. They basically say, God, you stay in your side of the fence and I'll stay in mine and I won't meddle with you and don't meddle with my life. You handle the world, I'll take care of me. Psalm 10 verse four in the Good News Version says this, a wicked man in his pride, oh man, it's pathetic, thinks that God doesn't matter. He is so deceived. The wicked man in his pride thinks that God doesn't matter. And the NIV says, in his, all his thoughts, there is no room for God. No room. They're so consumed with what I'm doing and my plans and enjoyment of pursuit, possessions, position, pleasure, all those things on my next trip, my next house, my next this, that, and the other, all about now, here and now, and forget God. Now, career and everything is evaluated by the question, what's in this for me? What's in it for me? It's called living for yourself. Now, um, advertisers play on this narcissism in in our life. I knew you watch some of the Burger King ads. One of them says this, the tagline is, have it your way. McDonald's says, we do it all for you. And Sybil Shepherd used to push the L'Oreal hair colour saying, I'll never forget the tagline, I'm worth it. That's what she used to say. I, see, it's all about me. And I don't know whether you, we've noticed an increasing prevalence in image consciousness. We're all very image conscious. There's ads for plastic surgery everywhere. You can reduce certain body parts, enlarge others, because you are worth it. All that matters is me. Psalm 36 clearly nails this. In his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his own sin. He can't see it. If it looks good, if I look good, I must be okay. So what are the effects of this preoccupation with self on our society? Well, the first is this, disintegrating families and marriages. These are the implications or the effects of these attitudes. Study was done on people's search for self-fulfillment and thousands of people were interviewed in various cities. And among the married people that were interviewed, those that were most devoted to their own, listen to this, self-fulfillment were having the most trouble in their marriage. Can you figure out why that would be? Here's how this works. In a marriage, you need to have one vision. If you have two visions, I'm doing my thing and you are doing yours, you have two visions, right? Now the Greek word for two is di. D-I. If you have two visions, you have di-vision. Division. Followed surely by divorce. Because you're going in two separate directions. All pursuing self-fulfillment. Now, it's not an accident that those with these types of attitude had a divorce rate was so high. Second, superficial relationships. This is how this goes. I'm so stinking busy, excuse the colloquialism, I've got no time for closeness. I'm too busy with my own goals, my career, my plans. 
or my goals come first and therefore I can't let it afford to let my relationships interfere with my goals. In fact, I'll cut them off if they're getting too close. And as a result, we have many, many, many extremely busy people but extremely lonely people. They may occupy the same real estate but they are lonely. The third effect of these attitudes is this, frustration and despair. Here's the deal. If you put yourself in the centre of the universe, pretty soon your world is going to become very small and meaningless. Self-centeredness never satisfies. and Actually, it leaves a kind of like a strange aftertaste in your mouth because there is more to life than just you. You are not God. God is God and you are not. People like Shirley MacLaine, who's still around, unfortunately, she was one of the leaders of the New Age movement, running around charging still a thousand bucks a seminar to say, you are a God, small g. I kind of wonder what the heck she's doing. Does she think that statement is supposed to be something new? If she just read the Bible, the very first thing that Satan said on earth is he told Adam and Eve, eat this and you will be like God. I think I've heard that lie before. New age is not new, it's just old lies. Old lies repackaged. We need to smarten up around that one. The fact is, is that when we make ourselves the centre of the universe, eventually it crumbles because you cannot control everything in your life. You need a power higher than you, a guiding star, a greater authority, a focus, a moral compass that gives your life meaning. That's another side debate which we've been having in our extended family for quite some time now. And there's this, without God, there is no right, no wrong. There is no morality. There's no objective anchor for morality. It's just pure opinion. Anyway, back to this one. Proverbs 28, 25. Selfishness only causes trouble. Boy, that's the case in marriages. If that's true, what's the solution to self-centeredness? How can I counteract the constant tide of influence on society where it says everything around me, all the advertising in the cult is constantly trying to say, think of yourself, reward yourself. You deserve it. And to my chagrin, Christians can get sucked down that one just as easily. They can get caught up in it. It's easy to be influenced to think only of yourself. What's the solution? Three solutions, three antidotes. And I'm going to give them to you quickly. Build strong relationships, number one. Two, give yourself away through service to others. And three, practice something you're never going to hear ever. In secular radio or TV, practice self-denial. That's not a word we hear very often. It wasn't actually listed in the library. <laughs> Can you believe that? Didn't exist. In that list, all I saw, I never once saw self-sacrifice or self-giving or self-denial. None of those words were there. So let's look at the solution. Number one, build the solution to self-centeredness. Number one, build strong relationships. Get interested in other people. You know why? God is. God is interested in other people. And if He is, we should be. Cultivate some friendships. 
that are not even Christian. Because God is interested in those relationships. Is there anything you're doing in your week where you can spend time with unchurched people? Because sometimes I think Christians become Christians and they dive down a rabbit hole and never come out apart from the odd breath of fresh air and then go back down again. You need other people so you're not so self-centred. But I hear often, oh, Pastor Ian, I don't have time for relationships. If that's you, you're too busy. Because God thinks people are more important than accomplishments in the long run. You need to make some time for your own psychological health, your own spiritual health. You need other people. 1 Corinthians 11 says this in the Living Bible. In God's plan, men and women need each other. In our V version says, man is not independent of the woman and the woman is not independent of the man. By the way, that obviously means that the feminist says that I don't need men and the chauvinist who says I don't need a woman are both wrong. Selfishness at its core is simply, I want to do my thing and forget you. That's what selfishness is. But caring about somebody is the fastest way to get the focus off yourself. Care about somebody else by building a relationship. Now, I wanted to share something with you that way back prior to meeting Kimberly, my girlfriend, when I was about 15 years old, I was pretty busy doing a whole bunch of stuff with no dad at home. I was a man at 15 years old, stripping engines off, pulling off cylinder heads, walking around with them because I didn't have a car, down to the garage, having them playing, welded. I did all that stuff. I was pretty full on, especially with two other brothers who didn't do an awful lot sometimes. They'll kill me. Did you hear that, Pat? Did you hear that, Mike? (laughs) Tease, tease. But something happened, even though I was very busy. When I fell in love with Kimberly, Somehow, I found time. <laughs> Somehow, my, in my schedule, which was absolutely chocker, the only person I could think of was her. I don't even remember thinking about myself anymore. And somehow, all the jobs, all the stuff I had to get done, still got done, and this time, with an attitude of, anything else I can do, Mum, before I go? I found time. It was, what can I do for her? How can I make her happy? I was in love with her. And that's what love does. Love gets the focus off yourself and onto other people. It makes you a giver and not just a taker. That's what love does. True love does that. Now, one of the purposes of the church is to build relationships so you're not selfish. God knows that. That's why it's called fellowship. It's like two fellows on one ship. Two fellows were on the same boat, fellowship. Ephesians 2.19, you, if you're a Christian, are members of God's very own family. That's precious to Him. And you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Circle the word family. One of the antidotes that you need in a selfish society is a church family. Every Christian needs a church family. A Christian without a church family is an orphan. You need a place where you can belong and play your part advancing the kingdom's and the family's cause, supporting the family, doing the dishes, mowing the lawns, whatever it may be, fixing the car, whatever it may be. 
playing your part in the family and caring for God's family. We are not lone rangers out there. Remember in heaven, we're gonna be together forever. So we need to get used to that right now. Now, when we don't have relationships, when we get too busy for themselves, for our, in ourselves, we can only see ourselves. We only have time for ourselves. And the best place to build relationships is in the church for a start. Because remember, that's the only people that are gonna be in heaven, people who believe in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, therefore, in Hebrews 10, let us not give up the habit, something that happens regularly of meeting together. Instead, let us do what? What does it say? Okay, question. How many of you like to be doers of the Word of God? Go see your hand. Doers. Okay, question. On that one, this is just a, a self warning. You don't have to answer to me, but God will tell you. Did you encourage anybody last week? Because let's not meet up, uh, let's not give up the habit of meeting, but let's encourage one another. Did you deliberately go out and extend yourself to encourage somebody last week? To help them out, to listen to their story rather than telling your story. Because that was what we're supposed to do, to encourage one another. He's saying, let's not give up meeting together. You need to go together and get out with some other Christians too. Not just attend when you come to church. Don't sit and consume, but he's encouraging us there to participate and to give and think about others when we come to church. You need to share. You need to belong. You can't do that if you come in and come out. A couple of reasons for that. Number one, churches help keep us accountable. They say the hard things from the Scriptures. Scripture's got nice things we like to hear all the time. But it's also got some character-forming things. See, Jesus didn't come to inform us. He came to transform us, to have a character like Jesus. You can't effectively encourage anybody else in a meeting of this size. That's why we need a small group too, by the way. You support each other and you help each other and you pray for each other and you encourage each other. So for your own emotional and spiritual health, you need these kind of relationships. That is one of the key reasons I am never keen on TV church. Because TV church makes for passive people who sit, flick the box on, in the pyjamas and consume. Now you ask yourself, do you think that's what Jesus had in mind when he gave us the Great Commission? Do you think he thought of that? It's church? That's not church. That's entertainment. It requires no involvement, whereas Jesus had a lot of requirements and involvement. It requires zero commitment. Eh, can't even be bothered doing that or just sleep. It requires nothing like that. You don't have to interact with anybody else. How can you encourage one another? You can't encourage a flat screen. Part of the benefit of a church is interaction that you have with people. You need to build strong relationships in the church, firstly, and secondly, in the world. That's the first antidote. To counteract the flow of the culture that says, oh, just live for yourself. Keep a distance from everybody. That is not Christian or biblical thinking. Number two, give yourself away. Give yourself away through some kind of service that means ministry. Ministry, let me despiritualize that, is helping somebody else out in Jesus' name. When Jesus gave the parable of the Good, uh, the good Samaritan, that guy was the enemy. 
Who is my neighbour? The Pharisee said. And he showed him the enemy and he did something to help the guy in God's name. I'm convinced that to be spiritually and emotionally healthy and balanced, everybody needs to have some form of service on a regular basis where they voluntarily give themselves without receiving any personal reward. You need it as a balance in our culture. Everybody needs some place because guess what? Everyone who's in this room has 168 hours a week and God does not want you to spend them all on yourself. You can bet your bottom dollar on that one. You need a place of service where you can say, I'm going to give myself away. You may, for example, find that you're able to help as a youth leader, to mentor somebody. One guy did that for Grant and I. And that's had eternal implications for our entire families. And we were scallywags. Well, Grant was, I wasn't. All-star helpers, little lives. Jesus says, these little ones, what those teachers and helpers are doing right now in all-stars or sparkles or galaxy is equally as important as what I'm doing now with you. There is no difference in God's eyes. They are faithfully labouring at the task of passing on the good news to them. Have you ever considered doing that? Why not? Maybe it's a soccer coach out there. Maybe it's men's hospital visitation. Because right now, if I'm wrapped up, I have two fantastic ladies who go and visit people in hospital, but I'm a bit stuck. If I'm wrapped up, who's going to go visit the men? We have one guy in hospital right now. Serious. That's beyond yourself. That's stepping out. Did you visit me when I was sick? That's not the pastor's job to do all that. Maybe one of you could do that. You men, I'm talking to you men. Would you, from time to time, when that situation comes up, say, hey, of course I would. If you did, let us know about that. Or maybe it's just volunteer in the community or any number of the multiple ministries in our church, something where you give yourself away with no practical return for yourself. We have a whole class called 301 that teaches you how to find a place of ministry here. And there are many different ways. And actually, Jane's got a guidebook that gives you a bunch of ideas if you'd like to look at some of that and you want to seriously engage on that. Ephesians 2.10 says this, God has given us new lives from Christ Jesus and Look at this, long ago, he planned that we should spend these lives, how? How? So how did that go? Does that focus high on your radar or is that, well, gee, if I even get round to it? How's the plan going? Because that's God's plan. See that? Some people, I have no idea what God wants me to do. Could I direct you to that verse? God's plan's written down. Plain and clear. You do not need a word from God. God's word is right there. He planned for you and I to do that. So the question is, how is the plan going? That plan. Does God want us to change 
to rearrange our priorities right now? Is he prodding at your heart? There are so many people today who have an identity crisis. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? What's going to happen afterwards? What am I supposed to do with my life? It was very obvious to me long ago. He planned that we should spend these lives. You're meant to use them up. Not in pursuit of pleasure and possessions and position and all those other things, but he planned that we should help others. That's what God wants you and me to do with our lives because you will never find fulfilment in simply living for yourself. It's a dead-end road. You'll find self-fulfillment by giving your life away. A few years ago, quite a few years ago, Salvation Army held an international conference and they're expecting their, their founder, William Booth, to rock up and address this international gathering. But he got sick. And he wasn't able to come. No way. He, he was flattening his back. So he promised that he'd send a telegram from London. And the telegram to the international conference was to give, here it is, the vision and the direction to set the goals and some ob- basic objectives for the organisation for the next decade. Whoa. So this is a problem. He's about to come. He's sick. And he's going to set the direction for this enormous organisation for a decade. When the telegram received, um, came, The convention centre was packed with people, expectantly, anxious, expecting and anticipating what Mr Booth was going to say for the vision and the direction for the decade. The man opens the envelope, true story, and he began to read it and started frowning because there was only one word on it, others. That was the focus. What's your word? that drives your life? Money? Success? Comfort? Fame? Power? What's your word? I want to suggest that those last few things I've read will not ultimately satisfy. They're a lie that the world puts out. Jesus says it pretty bluntly. He says a lot of things pretty bluntly. I've been looking at the hard sayings of Jesus. He says this, friendship with the world is enmity towards God. Paul says it even more bluntly. He says, don't be an adulterer. Oh, that's a bit harsh. You've got a mistress on the side. That's what Paul's saying. Don't do that. In fact, look at what Jesus says in Mark 8.35 when people say, why should I care about serving others? This is what he said. He said, read this. In fact, let's read this together. Jesus said, only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the... will ever know what it really means to live. Let me tell you what that really means. When he says here, and I'll look this up again, in the Greek today, just Jesus said, only those who throw away their lives, that means they abandon their own selfish dreams, their own selfish hopes, and their own selfish goals. You want to do some study this week? That's another classic verse to wrestle with. And it is painful. 
Only those who give up their own dreams, give up their own hopes, give up their own goals for my sake and for the sake of the good news. So how are we doing on those two things? How am I doing on those two things? How are we as a family doing on those two things? Are you giving your life away for His sake? Or you're tightly gripping on and for the sake of the gospel? which is God's plan for your life? Or are you just existing? Only those who give their lives away and it's in service know what it really means to live. Now, I doubt Mother Teresa ever worried about her low self-esteem. I couldn't have ever imagined her sitting in the corner saying, poor me, my walls are falling apart. I'm so depressed. I couldn't imagine that. Because she was so focused on helping others. I never saw her or read anything about her battling depression or low self-esteem. She didn't think, now this is important, she did not think less of herself. She just thought about herself less. And concentrated on others. The world says, get, big G, it, get all you can. Jesus Christ says the exact opposite. He says, give. That's a hard saying of Jesus. And I would be an unfaithful pastor if I didn't remind you of what he said. And in giving you understand what life is all about, there is no greater fulfillment than giving your life away to do God's work and helping others. The more helpful I am, the more happy I am gonna be. Helpfulness and happiness go hand in hand. You see, you've got 168 hours and so do I a week. And I challenge you, my point on this, is to invest at least some part of that. Each week, somewhere, in your church, in your community, somewhere, and say, God, this is an offering to you. Thirdly, practice self-denial. Now, this is not a popular word. Most people don't want to listen to a message on self-denial, but it is in the Bible. It is in the Bible. Every day, you need to find at least one opportunity where you choose conviction over convenience and the right thing to do rather than the easy thing to do, where you help others rather than just helping yourself. Philippians 2.4 and the good news says this, look out for each other's interests, not just your own. The attitude you should have is the one Christ Jesus had. And that word look, again in the Greek, is from skopos. It's from where we get the word microscope or telescope. It means to get a bigger view than you're seeing right now. Because it's so easy to get stuck in the traffic and think about work and that's it. Your head's in a certain mode. You need to hop out of that mode and the Bible encourages you today to get a bigger view, get a bigger picture of what's really going on. Because soon, this life will be gone. Some of you young folks don't quite get that. I'm over halfway now and I can see the finish line. And boy, it's gone quick. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it goes real quick. So, look, he says, pay attention to the needs of those around you. Be sensitive, be considerate of what's going on. Pay attention to the needs. Let's start at home. 
My mum used to say that Christianity always starts at home. To the needs of your husband or your wife. Be considerate or your children, your friends, that people will look out for other people's interests, not just your own. That verse is there. Maybe you come home, you're tired and all you want to do is flop down the sofa and chill. Take a large chill pill and watch the TV or something like that. But maybe what you need to do is get up and do that bunch of dishes you see sitting in the sink. What does the the Bible say? It's a man's job to do dishes. Do you know those ones? Take note of this one, Claire. 2 Kings 21.13. says, I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipes a dish. Wipe it and get and turn it upside down. (laughs) You may want to circle that one. (laughs) In a society where everybody is saying, live only for yourself, think only for yourself, we as believers are called to be different. Go against the flow of this culture and not just think of ourselves. And Jesus said, that's what it means to follow me. If you're a Christian, Matthew 16, 24 is a heart-stopping verse. He says, Jesus says, if anyone, anybody in this room would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. That's not easy. And follow me. Don't let anybody ever tell you that Christianity is just a bed of roses. They are deluded. They haven't read the Bible from cover to cover and many times through. That's not what happened. Check out the prophets. Check out the apostles. He says it several times in the Bible. In many places it says he must deny himself daily. That means tomorrow, Ian. There's Martin. Tomorrow, we're called to deny ourselves. In other words, that he may make it a daily habit. Once every once in a blue moon isn't good enough. If you just deny yourself every once in a while, between times you can be just as self-serving as everybody else in this world, pursuing your own pleasures. Self-denial is not one grand decision made once and for all. It is a daily choice. The small choices, often, to be honest, painful choices in which I choose to put other people or God's will and interests ahead of my own. And most of the time it's invisible when that transaction takes place in my heart and my mind. And this is radical because in our society that says express yourself, assert yourself, indulge yourself, Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. They've all got that wrong. Deny yourself. I say, deny yourself. I call that countercultural. He says, deny yourself and then, oh, by the way, take up your cross. And in those days, a cross wasn't some pretty little thing that hung around your neck or some, some cute tattoo tattooed somewhere. In those days, it was an instrument of death. It was an executioner's tool. And nobody took up their cross unless the Romans were about to nail them to it. And he's saying, if you want to follow me, you have to die to selfishness. You have to surrender. So what does it really mean to deny yourself? There's a lot of misunderstanding and confusion over this. Some people think to deny yourself means to just go around putting yourself down all the time. That is not what this means. 
Some people think to deny yourself means, well, going around saying, well, I'm no good, I'm worthless, I'm a bunch of junk, but you're not a bunch of junk because Jesus made you and he died for you. You're exceedingly valuable. You're of worth. You are significant. The very fact that he died for you shows how valuable that you are. So what does it really mean to deny yourself? Well, I had a shot at this because we kind of get the idea we should, but what does it look like? So for some of you who are asking that question, work with me through this. Denying yourself is where you can watch your peers and those close to you prosper and succeed without feeling jealous and rather rejoice in their success. Then you know the meaning of denying yourself. When you can see other people attaining goals, you fail to reach and receive rewards and recognition that you would like to have had without being envious. That is denying yourself. Seeing other people's needs being met with abundance whilst your needs are greater and you don't question God or fail to be grateful for what you already have. That's denying yourself. When you choose to serve your wife or husband or children and they put their needs ahead of your own, that is denying yourself. When you share your faith at work or school, knowing that you may be insulted or put down, that's denying yourself. When you don't seek praise or fish for compliments or approval from others and when you can live without constantly being recognised or applauded, that's denying yourself. When you draw out the other person's conversation and they're interested in their lives rather than just dumping your stories and telling them your opinions, you restrain that. That is denying yourself. When you tell the truth, even at personal expense, and we know that's the one time you attempted to lie, that's denying yourself and saying, no God, not my way, not my selfish way, I want your way, the truth. When you pay your fair share of taxes, when everybody else you know is cheating, that is denying yourself, saying, no God, you know what's in my heart. I'm not evaluating myself by that standard. When you can accept criticism willingly and learn from it with a teachable heart, that is denying yourself. Not getting defensive and boxing back. Look for if there's any truth in that. When the place that God's great commission, when you put God's great commission ahead of your own comfort and convenience, that is denying yourself. When you can be content with less than the best of circumstances without griping, whining or complaining, that's denying yourself. When you can accept interruptions that God places in your schedule patiently and enduring irritations, that is denying yourself. When people break promises to you, well, that is disappointing, I know that, and let you down and and you refuse to become bitter. When you are misjudged unfairly and your motives are questioned and you don't retaliate. Hmm, know anybody else that did that? Jesus, that's denying yourself. And maybe when you're content to let God settle the score and content to wait for your reward in heaven, that is denying yourself. Now, why do I do a message like this? Because the fundamental challenge of life, the biggest battle you will ever face 
is to win over self-centeredness. It is a life's fundamental challenge. It makes a difference between the winner in God's eyes and the loser. Between the believer, the true believer, the fully divided follower of Jesus and the admirer. Between the giver and the taker. Between the narrow road and the broad road. Last few scriptures. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus said, only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it really means to live. Jesus said, this is the only legitimate way to live. You will not follow God's will or find fulfillment simply by pursuing self-interest. I hope that's clear in this message. What's the alternative? Well, the alternative is to stand before God one day and try to explain to him why your theme song was, well, I knew you said this, God, but I did it my way. So I want to challenge you to make three radical countercultural steps today in a society that's going 180 degrees the opposite direction. Would you, one, start, say, God, I'm going to start building stronger relationships because we need other people. When a society that says, think of yourself, so as you care for others, you get your focus of yourself, join a small group too. I'm going to give my life away in service because that's what God's planned. Find somewhere, someplace, where you can volunteer on a weekly basis, where I don't receive any personal benefit. Make time for it because I need it emotionally, physically, sociologically, psychologically, and of course, most important, spiritually. And I'll just do it altruistically. Third, then practice self-denial. Every day, look for a moment, an opportunity you can say, the convenient thing to do is this, but I'm, even though it's harder and more expensive and not necessarily fun because it helps others and advances God's purposes in this world, this is what I'm going to do. It's denying myself. Jesus said, that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, your word is very clear. And today in this room, every one of us can clearly hear how opposite your word is to this culture that we live in. You've called us to be in this world, but not part of it in terms of buying into their attitudes Holy Spirit, guide us. You're our counsellor. Enlighten and show us your truth. That we may live in a way that pleases your heart, even when it's hard. Because Lord, we're just reading your word where you say, narrow is the way. And few are those that choose it. 
Would you pray now in your heart? Would you say, God, help me to build strong relationships. Help me to find a place of service where I can give my life away to others. And help me to practice self-denial daily in a culture that says, think only of yourself. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.